Welcome to St John's Derm Academy podcast, our new educational resource for healthcare professionals in dermatology. I'm your host, Dr Ali Paolino. I'm a dermatology registrar and fellow in medical education at St John's. Our podcasts aim to update you on topical issues and share practical information on how experts in their field treat conditions. I'd like to quickly remind listeners that the information in this podcast is aimed at healthcare professionals. It's based on the latest evidence and expert opinion at the time of recording. We'd also recommend that any patient listening consults their own physician for any medical issues they may have. So for this episode, I'm going to be speaking to Dr. Rachel Morris-Jones about cutaneous manifestations of COVID-19. She's a consultant dermatologist here at St. John's and a national expert on infectious dermatology and paediatric dermatology. She was also redeployed to work on the front line and has been managing patients with COVID-19 on the medical wards here at Guys and St. Thomas's Hospital over the past two months. So uh, welcome, Dr. Morris-Jones. Thank you very much and thanks for inviting me. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this. We're grateful to have someone with your expertise speak on the subject. And I also understand you've had your own um, personal experience of cutaneous features of the virus for a first-hand account on it. Yes, I have. So yes, I was quite ill with COVID, um, which was actually quite useful from a medical point of view. And I'll talk perhaps a bit about that later, but I actually had some rashes myself, which uh, I think are going to be relevant to what we're talking about today. Absolutely looking forward to hearing about them. So I'll just take us through the outline of our podcast episode today. First off, we'll be giving you some background information on the virus. We'll then be talking through the cutaneous manifestations, both in adults and in children. And we'll discuss the significance and prognostic value of those cutaneous features. So first of all, I'd like to start off um, by asking you to tell us a little bit about the origins of COVID-19 and the spread of this global pandemic. Thanks, Ali. So um, I'm going to refer to COVID-19 as just COVID from now on, if that's okay. And basically, we know that this is a novel coronavirus, and it was first identified at the end of 2019, hence the name COVID-19. And there was a cluster of cases pneumonia in Wuhan in China. And what the doctors there noticed, sort of patients were coming in, and they typically presented with a very high fever, Um, fatigue and a dry cough and some of those patients also had anorexia, uh, myalgia so quite severe muscle aches and um, a third of patients were very short of breath and some of the patients also had sputum production and this was a type of pneumonia that they'd not recognised before and the doctors there quickly identified that this was something new, um, a new type of coronavirus. And since then, a lot of work's obviously been done and the incubation period's been identified now as um, between sort of uh, four and 14 days, but the median is about four, so quite quick um, in its spread from person to person. And there's quite a range um, of symptoms. We, we don't really know yet what percentage of the population will have an asymptomatic infection, but we do know that a proportion will be asymptomatic. But of those patients who do develop symptoms, so the Chinese Centre for Disease Control and Prevention looked at 44,000 cases, and within those, 81% had a mild illness, so sort of mild pneumonia or uh, very mild symptoms. 
And then 14% um, were identified as having severe disease, and those patients were short of breath and had hypoxia. Um, and then 5% of patients had critical disease, so with respiratory failure or shock or multi-organ dysfunction. And at the moment, the fatality rate is around 2.3%. So vast majority having mild disease, but obviously a significant proportion having very severe or, or critical or fatal disease. And working on the wards, we definitely saw the three phases of the disease um, that have been identified in the literature. In the first phase of the illness, um, there's a fever and fatigue and there's myalgia and cough. Um, and this is during the viral replication phase. And so viral loads tend to reach their peak around five to six days after the onset of symptoms. And then the second phase starts at around day seven. Um, and this is the pulmonary phase when you get short of breath and you start redu reducing your oxygen saturation. So you become hypoxic. Um, and then the third phase usually starts after day 10. And this is the hyper inflammatory phase or the acute respiratory distress syndrome and this is the the part that we're really seeing in hospital when patients come in they come in after the second week usually and that's when they're in this sort of hyper inflammatory phase of the disease. Okay so at the beginning of this outbreak the cutaneous manifestations of the disease were thought to be rare uh, and in those earliest reports we had from China less than one percent of patients were described as having a skin rash but since then there's been an increasing number of cases reported in the literature. When did this start becoming increasingly apparent? So I think towards the end of March, um, actually, the Italians um, published um, manifestations of COVID in about 88 patients that they'd seen. And obviously, we need to bear in mind that these patients were quite elderly and in hospital and quite sick. And so perhaps they're seeing a more severe end of the cohort, but they reported about 20% of their patients having some sort of skin manifestation. And based on just those 88 patients, about 50% of those, the skin involvement seemed to occur at the onset of the disease, but also 50% of the skin manifestations came later, actually when the patients were already hospitalized. So we started to get a little bit of insight into the fact that there would be some skin manifestations with this uh, coronavirus and they reported sort of erythematous rashes, urticaria and also chicken pox like vesicles um, and then as the disease spread across Europe um, the French dermatologists decided to take a sort of very systematic approach and they actually formed a WhatsApp group and they collected all their data nationally and identified sort of 295 cases um, that were submitted in this group and they started describing sort of chillblain like lesions as well as also the urticaria and the chickenpox rashes that the Italians had already identified and then since then more and more has appeared in the literature, um, lots of publications um, from various groups. And I think at the moment, um, based on the publications, the frequency of skin manifestations are between about 0.2 and 20.4%. So it's going to be somewhere in between those things. Personally, um, when I had COVID, I didn't come into hospital. I was quite unwell with fever and myalgia and hypoxia. And I had a couple of rashes myself, which is actually personally quite useful 
to see how these rashes come on. And I had a sort of petechial rash and also a levidoid rash. So I do think that a lot of the rashes probably were never seen by a physician because patients just had the rashes at home and didn't come into hospital or seek advice. And so probably the prevalence of the rash um, may be higher than perhaps has been reported in the literature as we've all concentrated on patients who've actually come into hospital. Um, and so a Spanish group have just published recently in the British Journal of Dermatology skin eruptions that they saw in 375 patients and they very helpfully uh, reached a consensus as to what those skin manifestations are and they've divided them into five key clinical patterns and I think this is very useful for us as healthcare professionals to identify these five types of rashes commonly seen with COVID and think a little bit about uh, what that might mean for the patients in terms of uh, the severity of the disease. So the five clinical patterns, um, the first one was acral, which usually means fingers and toes, and they described erythema with vesicles or pustules, what they call pseudo-chilblain. Um, and then they described vesicular eruption, a bit like the chickenpox eruption that we mentioned earlier, urticaria. And then macular papular eruption, that was actually the most common, um, affecting about 50% of patients who had a cutaneous manifestation had this sort of more biliform or macular papular rash. And then a bit more rare was the levido or necrotic rash. And we'll, we'll go through each of these areas if that's okay. So thinking about the pseudo chilblain like acral lesions, first of all, this has been in the media, in the news quite a lot, and people have been talking about these COVID toes. Um, and quite a lot of patients actually identified themselves the COVID toes, and they've sent photographs into their GPs and into us saying, you know, could this be COVID? And what we're seeing is a sort of erythematous, violaceous, almost purple type of macules on the fingers, toes, but also on the elbows, so the sort of acral sites. And I've seen it along the lateral borders of the feet in patients. And the skin's um, quite edematous, and it's also a bit itchy um, rather than painful. It looks quite painful, but actually they uh, describe itching. The early cases were reported mainly in children, um, and it does seem to be something that comes on much later in the disease. So perhaps when you take a viral swab in these patients for COVID, they're negative because they've had the illness, you know, two or three weeks ago and the viral RNA is no longer detected. Um, so generally, it's been thought that these pseudo chilblain type clinical features occur late and most of the patients had mild disease. So if you're seeing that, usually the COVID's already gone and the patient's in the recovery phase. Um, there have been some biopsies from these rashes and what they've shown is an inflammatory response causing a sort of hypercoagulation in the blood vessels and microthrombi. And certainly that's what we've seen biopsying patients here. So that's the sort of pseudo chilblain or the COVID toe rash. The fascicular rash, which is like a blistering rash, um, the blisters are very monomorphic, so they all look very similar. Some are almost pustular, um, and they're quite itchy as well, which is unusual. When we think of chickenpox, we think of the lesions being sore or tender, but these are a little bit itchy. And it tended to occur on the torso, particularly of middle-aged um, patients, and it lasted for about 10 days, so the blisters last for um, almost two weeks. Um, and in one series, they came on between day four and day 30. So there's a bit of a spectrum there. Um, and these patients seem to have an intermediate severity disease. So if you see blisters, it's often on the torso in a middle-aged patient. 
and it can be sort of in the middle of the disease or a little bit later and it was generally associated with more severe disease. There was one report of looking at the blister fluid to see if they could see any uh, virus there and that was all negative. So I think this is an inflammatory response rather than actual virus in the skin like you might see with chickenpox. The urticarial rashes um, were quite acute and itchy and they seemed to be random, not particularly associated with the high fevers which we might see in other viral illnesses. So when you get the high fever you get the urticaria but with this it seemed to be a bit more random um, and often presents early in the disease. So if someone presents with urticaria often that's in the viremic phase of the illness and would just last a few days, so up to six days. So that's something you might see early on in the disease, uh, itchy urticaria. The morbilliform rash is very interesting um, and that's the most common, so about 47% of patients who had some sort of manifestation in their skin of COVID had this morbilliform or erythematous rash. Um, and this interestingly was seen in those patients who had more severe disease and in fact there's a 2% mortality in the group with the morbilliform rash um, overall. And that rash lasted about eight days on average and was often on the torso, on the trunk. Um, the levidoid rash or sort of necrotic purpuric rash, um, this rash was typically a rash of older patients and those with more severe disease and there's a 10% mortality in that group, so um, the more severe end of the spectrum. And most of the reports are that this rash starts in the second week, and I actually had this levido rash myself. It came on on day seven, and what was interesting was that I developed some pain in my skin as the rash was developing. And we know that there, again, is a complement-mediated microvascular injury um, causing uh, microthrombi in the vessels. And obviously, that was the pain that I could feel in my skin. And on biopsies, they've shown that those microthrombi are in the affected and the clinically apparently unaffected skin. So that's telling us something about that process. So going back to those five categories, uh, the most common was the macular papular eruption in 47%. Urticaria, which was early on, was in 19%. The pseudo chilblain or the COVID toe, also 19%, but that was a late feature and more mild disease. And then the vesicular blistering type of rash was in about 9%, and this was more early on. And then the levidoid rash in about 6%, and that tended to be a bit later in more severe disease. I'm sure we'll learn more about the percentages and other rashes that have been identified over the next few months but these are the main things that you should be looking out for at the moment. Okay so um, so far uh, children have made up a minority of the severe cases of Covid infection but there are new concerns over a Kawasaki-like disease in children related to Covid. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so those of us who work in sort of paediatric dermatology have seen cases of Kawasaki over the years, which is um, a condition that presents with colitis and sort of desquamation of the hands and feet. And we've often thought it might be related to a previous infective illness, but often it's difficult to pinpoint what it is. Um, and in the literature in the last couple of months, there have been some papers published showing that there's been a 30% or 30-fold increase in the numbers of these uh, Kawasaki 
Saki presentations, and we do believe that this is associated with the COVID infections in children. And this is a late presentation. So when these children are coming into hospital and they're having swabs looking for RNA of COVID virus, they're all negative for the actual virus, but many of them have um, antibodies showing that they have had an infection. And so what we think is happening is that this is the um, inflammatory syndrome, or people are calling it multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. Um, and they um, present with a sort of erythematous rash, a polymorphic rash, um, and there's induration of the hands and feet. So if you feel the hands and feet, they're very indurated, and they have this oral mucositis and conjunctivitis. And these patients tend to be a little bit older than perhaps patients we've seen in the past historically with Kawasaki, and they have a much higher rate of cardiac involvement than we've seen in the past. So I think this is something to look out for. It's a, it's a late presentation of COVID, probably like the third phase of the disease that seems to be very specific to children and probably what they need is um, antibody testing looking for COVID and obviously supportive care. Thank you for that fantastic overview of this virus. I hope our audience now has a better understanding of the transmissibility of COVID, its incubation period, its typical symptoms and the phases that we see during infection with the virus. You've neatly explained the key cutaneous features that we see and their potential significance. I'd like to finish this podcast uh, by encouraging people to report cutaneous features that they've seen uh, to a registry that Dr Emma Craythorn and Christina Somadakis have launched in conjunction with the British Association of Dermatologists. The American Association of Dermatologists also has a similar registry. I'll be adding information about how you can report cases um, on our website under the episode information page. This is the first of a series of episodes that we'll be dedicating to COVID, so please do look out for upcoming episodes that we have. Uh, We'll be discussing occupational skin disease during the pandemic, and we'll also be talking about COVID-19 and the impact that it's had on our patients on immunosuppressants. Thank you to our listeners. You can find a summary of today's episode and references on our website under our podcast page on www.stjohnsdermacademy.com. I'd like to thank our industry sponsors of Derm Academy, AbbVie, Celgene, Lilly, Janssen, Novartis, Sanofi and UCB. They don't have any influence over the material in these podcasts, but their support is invaluable to us. Thank you.